everyone. Welcome to the Your Pastor Reads Books podcast, a podcast for Christians of all stripes where you'll hear ministers discuss their love of reading and the specific books that are shaping them to be wholehearted followers of Jesus and better givers of spiritual care to others. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and I hope you enjoy our first season of conversations with ministers about the books that they read. Today I'm talking with Joshua Tilly about his reading life. Josh is the lead pastor at the River Community Church in Iowa City, Iowa. His teaching and preaching style are heavily grounded in his philosophical background with a strong emphasis in the study of existentialism, authenticity, and apologetics. When he's not studying or teaching, he enjoys spending time with his family, hiking, climbing, or having a good cigar. He's written several books, most notably Authentic Prayer, A Theology of Humility, and A Short Guide to Authenticity, based upon his doctoral thesis. You can learn more about Josh and his ministry at diveintotheriver.org. Josh happens to be a local pastor friend in Iowa City. We met because we were both brought on as volunteer chaplains for the Iowa City Police Department around 2018. So we shared several years together in that ministry environment. And since then, I've always found Josh to be sincere and deeply thoughtful with a sort of determined, get-or-done approach to the things that ministry and chaplaincy have required of him. Today, our conversation took us into the topic of true authenticity across cultures, self-care, and managing energy in post-pandemic ministry life. All that said, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Josh. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you for having me. Uh, I just read your bio to uh, those those who are listening today, and it's quite the bio. You have written how many books? I think I've written four, Four three or four, something like that. I forget. Let's see. Because I think I didn't even read the full list, but one of the titles that stuck out to me was The Short Guide to Authenticity, and I wondered if you could give like a little elevator pitch on what that's about, because I'm intrigued. Yeah, so The Short Guide to Authenticity was two chapters out of my doctoral thesis, and in a nutshell, trying to help people, specifically my thesis was aimed at leaders and how to be perceived as authentic. But one of the things I had to do for my doctoral thesis was create a model of authenticity. And I found that the model of authenticity I created was actually more uh, wide ranging and beneficial for a a much larger group um, in and of itself, even though it was only a portion of my doctoral thesis. So what I did was I created just a very short book on um, the topic of authenticity proper Hmm. and explaining these basic elements um, from my, I did, I performed a phenomenology of authenticity and boiled the uh, elements that are required down, uh, down to uh, like this Venn diagram and just explaining this overlap of uh, how to be perceived as authentic. And then also, too, it pertains to the culture you're in. And so the, the hmm. model applies to whatever culture you are. A lot of huh. the studies I had were from Mexico and Russia. Wow. Um, 
and I wanted to make sure that they were multiculturally applicable. Wow. So authenticity boils down to basically the same components, Mm -hmm. no matter what culture you're in. Yep. And you mentioned you wrote your thesis for leaders, but it just became more widely applicable. Now, is there a difference between being perceived as authentic and actually being authentic? Yeah, there is. And, and, uh, and my hope was to help people see the perception because perceptions, it all depends on others. It has a lot to do with others. So there are these basic uh, aspects to authenticity were self, others, the situation you're in, and your, your meta narrative or your metaphysic that you live by. Um, this could also be the culture that you're in oftentimes. So for example, um, in Russia, uh, American leaders, male American leaders tended to be um, considered to be inauthentic and effeminate. Hmm. And it had to do with their cultural mores and the way that that men, American men tend to hold themselves by comparison to Russians. So Hmm. they were perceived as less authentic. Hmm. So in in those situations, um, one of the things I taught for leaders was to be, you know, cognizant of the culture of either the business you're at, the church mm. you're at, the nonprofit you're at, or the place you're visiting. Just be very cognizant of those mm. places. Um, avoid those landmines, those cultural landmines, uh, so mm. that you're perceived as authentic. Because the goal is to be as, as to, the goal of a leader is to be um, as effective as possible. So the perception of authenticity actually is very, very important. Mm. And I would argue that if you are trying to be perceived as authentic, you are trying to be authentic. I see. I see. Um, You know, a person could, you know, use this information like any information and and try to be manipulative. Um, But I'm trying to teach, uh, and I, I was trying to get at the core of what it feels like to be authentic, like what it feels like to be in the presence of authenticity um, with the goal of teaching people to be authentic um, and to be perceived as such. And it's really interesting. They've done great studies. um, And these are like journal article, uh, repeatable studies where um, if a leader is perceived as authentic, uh, effectiveness of their groups, effectiveness of their subordinates increases uh, job satisfaction increases. It's just that there's all of these great, great things that come from being perceived as authentic. Um, you know, and then obviously one of the big problems that I found, um, which it kind of leads to your question Hmm. is a person is perceived as authentic dependent upon one of the care. One of the factors is situation. Hmm. Great example. I argued that, um, if, Air Force One crashes and Biden and a handful of people survive. They're on an island. Um, Biden is technically president, right? But the argument is that if they crash and the cook in the bottom third level of the airplane is a survivalist, he is actually now the leader Hmm. because the situation dictates so. Hmm. So, so Biden, I don't know by if Biden has any training in, in you know, in like the ability to survive. Surviving. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So even though Biden, by definition in the United States would outrank everybody there, the leader now by definition is shifted to, situationally to somebody hmm. who actually can deal with the situation. I um, see. A, 
yeah. So a great example would be uh, uh, Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was, uh, you know, nowadays he's revered. He's this great guy, but unbeknownst to Americans, especially, uh, he was brought in as prime minister. He got his country through World War II. Great man, fired after World War II and was hated by his countrymen. Um, just shortly after. Thomas Paine is another example in the United States. Thomas Paine um, could be argued that he almost single-handedly turned the tide of, of the revolution with his writings. Mm. Um, shortly after Thomas Paine wrote those things, he went to France, tried to do it again with the French Revolution. The Americans didn't back him. And then mm. he was exiled from the United States. So help me understand. I just want to make sure I'm tracking. So sure. they, they were perceived as inauthentic, even though they uh, were successful in certain contexts. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. And that's why the situation is different because if you're unable to, if you're unable to be flexible, you're not authentic. And I so see. in one situation, you know, you have Winston Churchill in, in dire straits, in times of war, he was the right leader for the mm. right time. Mm. But during times of peace, he was no longer the right leader. One of the things I found was that the average, the average journal article and average author was calling authenticity being true to yourself. Mm. Um, and that's actually completely nonsensical. Um, and it's interesting because that, that definition of being true to yourself is authentic. Is, is, uh, it comes out of Hamlet. But hmm. the phrase is, is by Polonius. Polonius says all these things, and he says, and, and to thine own self be true. Mm -hmm. um, but Polonius in the, the play Hamlet was by definition the most inauthentic character with Hamlet being perceived as the authentic character. Polonius was a blowhard, was a, you know, he was throwing out all these idioms, mm. trying to sound wise while being as deep as a, you know, a spoonful of water. And when he says that he's, he's actually, that's, that was, that was Shakespeare's way of saying, you know, he's full of hot air. Right. Right. It's interesting. Cause if I open up Instagram right now, I'd probably see like in the next 20 minutes, like 40 versions of to your, to thine own self be true. I mean, I feel like that is the <laughs> yeah. motto that that the, the world's living by, at least in the, the West. So let's keep going. Um, Josh, uh, you have a unique backstory. And, you know, before we even get into the book that you're sharing here on the podcast today, I just wonder if you could talk for a minute about how books played a role in your coming to Christian faith. Because as far as I understand, you weren't raised as a Christian. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So how did reading and books shape your coming to faith? Yeah. So for me, it's, it's, uh, books made a huge difference because when I, I became a believer in college and I became a believer through, um, study. So, um, I had interactions with, with a lot of different folks, uh, mostly with, um, Jehovah's witnesses. So that was my, my first exposure to Christianity mm quote unquote. And it was, and to be honest, it was because I had done studies and I had read the Quran and read um, a book by, uh, by L. Ron Hubbard on Scientology. I'd read a whole bunch of books uh, from different religious backgrounds uh, 
including like even like the Nag Hammadi, the Gnostic Gospels. And so when I started to dive in a little bit deeper, long story short, I became enamored with the gospel. And when I looked around at the world, I didn't know any Christians. And the only Christians, quote unquote, I knew were actually doing anything were the Jehovah's Witnesses. Hmm. Um, So that led me to a kingdom hall through conversations there. I was uh, physically removed from the building for asking hard questions. Okay. I got to stop you. You said it brought you to a kingdom hall, kingdom hall. So that's what they call their, that's what the Joe's witnesses call their church. Okay. Thank you. And you were physically removed for asking hard questions. Yeah. I interrupted the service though. So in Uh their defense, that's not, I I don't recommend doing that. So So I'm not, you were that guy. Okay. Yeah. I was that guy. But again, though, it is different. The services are very different. So when in a Jehovah's Witness service, there, there's no pastor, there's nobody like up there preaching, and then you're just quietly listening. It's all done out of the Watchtower magazine. Mm-hmm. So the entire congregation, again, quote unquote, I'm just trying to use evangelical language. Sure. The entire congregation um, is involved. So everybody takes a turn reading out of the Watchtower magazine, which is the, the voice of the prophets. And um, when my turn came, I read from the Watchtower magazine, and then I just asked a question, mm. and then I asked another question, and then I was mm. removed. So you weren't um, trying to be rude or disruptive. No, you just no, no. Yeah. You didn't know the rules. Sounds like I didn't know the rules. I was being asked to say something. I asked a question. They said, "Go ahead, ask it." So again. I don't want it to seem like I went in there and like, you know, some of these YouTubers who are in there, I didn't videotape it. I didn't <laughs> go in there trying to make a scene. I was, that was nothing. I was just asking questions. Okay. Okay. So but anyway, books, reading, books played a did, huge role. Yeah. How did reading get? Yes. And so you became enamored with the gospels. Mm-hmm. How did you then get to Christian churches as we know them? I mean, you sure. are pastor of a, a Protestant church in the Converge network. So how did reading shape your arrival in that stream? Yeah, so I started to read and study more as a new Christian. Um, I started going to Bible studies from different denominations um, and asking their leaders questions. Um, And then I went to Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, formerly at the local college. Um, At that point, I dropped out of college. I didn't know what to do anymore. Being a Christian, my whole worldview had flipped upside down. Hmm. So um, all I had was just reading and studying and uh, I was working uh, at the time trying to pay off my school and I didn't have any college money or anything. So I had to pay it off. Um, And then uh, I went to these Bible studies. I got kicked out of five or six Bible studies for asking questions. (laughs) Yeah. And um, finally ended up with a guy who we're still friends today. His name is a doesn't matter. But anyway, he, he, I don't want to say his name because I don't want to get him in trouble. But anyway, he and I got to be good friends. And um, uh, he was a, one of the local missionaries there at the time. And he, rather than just blow me off when I asked him these questions, uh, he said, you know, that's a great question. Give me a week and, uh, you know, and we'll sit down. And I'll get back to you. And before people would just try to, the different 
Bible study leaders who now looking back, I know were just college kids who didn't know anything, you know? And, but every time I did this, they were trying to wax eloquent, like they had all the answers. Mm. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was looking for authenticity. I was Mm. looking for somebody to just be real enough to say, I struggle with that question too. Let's Mm. study it together Mm. because every time they'd bring up something, I would just poke holes in it logically. And then they would get frustrated with me for, for questioning what they considered to be Jesus, you know, which is their Mm. belief system. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, so this guy finally just sat me down and, and uh, we agreed to disagree on some stuff at the time. And um, anyway, all said and done, uh, I eventually, you know, came to, came to faith and Jesus knew Jesus fully in the, in a relational sense, hmm. uh, started to wonder about ministry, which blew my mind because I was a drug dealer wow. prior to that. So it wasn't wow. like that was a, that was on my radar. Um, and then, uh, when I went back, got married, my wife got pregnant. I had nothing to do with it. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so my wife got, my wife and I got pregnant and then the goal was for her to finish school. And then for me to go back um, and finish my school, that was 08, the economy crashed. And Mm. then I went back for philosophy Mm. and again, reading and all the books and John Paul Sartre and Kierkegaard and Nietzsche and Aristotle. I got pictures of all of my children as babies with me studying for classes Mm. and each of them. So like my oldest was, I was reading Plato's Republic to her mm. when she was a baby. And wow. my, my youngest, I was reading Albert Camus, uh, Albert Camus being in nothingness uh, to her while she was a baby. Cause I had to read it and they liked to hear that talk. So I just was like, okay, this is, this is a perfect wow. situation to read out loud. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some Christians hearing you talk might think that a degree in philosophy doesn't pair well with the Christian faith or like might wonder how that helps you in your ministry as a pastor. So, I mean, before we get into the book that you particularly want to talk about today, how do you feel like reading some of those classics in philosophy, like really prepared you for ministry? Sure. Um, first of all, I would defend uh, philosophy outright because the the word wisdom, you know, the word I'm sorry, the word philosophy means the love of wisdom. Hmm. So, as far as I'm concerned, Christians should be the greatest philosophers. Hmm. It just so happens that Christians tend to be so anti-intellectual that they uh, they tend to think that anybody who reads outside of the canon are uh, you know, giving way for the devil or something. Um, but also too, um, just historically speaking, um, people might not know this, but like the gospel of John's a great example. When I got kicked out of the Jehovah's witness church, I was kicked out because of questions about the original Greek of the new Testament. My foreign language is ancient Greek. And mm-hmm. If you look at the ancient Greek of, of the gospel of John, Jesus is called the Lagos, the word. Well, Christians today tend to think, and this is what I've been told, tend to think that Jesus is the Lagos because he's the fulfillment of scripture. That's actually not true at all. It has nothing to do with it. 
John is the only person who ever calls Jesus the word. So if it was generally known that Jesus was the Logos, the fulfillment of scripture, like in that sense, why didn't Paul or anybody else use that term? No one else did. We only see that term used in the gospel of John in Revelation because John uses it. And then who was John's, who was the gospel of John's um, audience? The Gentiles. Hmm. If you do just a tiny bit of research, and you go online and just type in um, the Logos and the Stoics, you will realize immediately that John was actually making a reference to the Stoic God, as they called it, and they called it the Logos. Hmm. So the, the, the creator, the single creator, the unmoved mover of Aristotle um, was called the Logos. And so when the word, when we were translated as the word, but they actually translated the English in a Stoic text today, uh, those authors tend to translate it as reason. So, but it's but it's the same Greek word. So I'm learning something today. So sure. John, John was, I mean, was he trying to say this is the God that you've been talking about? Jesus and, and, is, is him. Yes, yeah. He's so he he yeah. says that in the beginning was the Logos, and every Stoic reader would go, yes, of course mm -hmm. it was. In the beginning was the Logos, the Logos was God, and the Logos was with God. And so Jesus it was a way, Christ it was a way to Logos. contextualize the gospel, in other words, for this, Absolutely. this group. Yeah. So as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about some themes of your life and your ministry that are converging. And like, I just know enough of your story to know, like, you know, you're not shy about hard questions. We know sometimes people get anxious when there's someone in the room asking hard questions. But that also ties into this importance of authenticity to you, that uh, it's important that we are genuine and true about the things we're wondering and thinking. And um, yeah, so I, I just appreciate that uh, a lot and your willingness to think outside of the canon, read outside of the canon. Um, the book you want to talk about today is not necessarily within the Christian canon, so Tell me about why you chose this book. When I reached out to you, I said, hey, pick a book you've read recently that has shaped you as a follower of Jesus and helped you be a better pastor, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so tell us about the book that that you brought for the conversation today. Sure, sure. Yeah, so the, the book that I was just, it was a book that was fresh on my mind. I had just finished it uh, months ago. But it is, it is something that I'm actually applying. It's called The Power of Full Engagement. It's, it's managing energy, not time. And uh, it's in a nutshell, it's energy management. And they, they argue that energy is the fundamental currency of high performance. And then one of the things that came out of my studies when I was doing my doctoral thesis was um, a lot of uh, a lot of very well done, measurable consequences for just basic decision making, and that's part of the reason why strong leadership is so important. Because when a, a when a, a leader makes a definitive decision, it actually alleviates a lot of tension and energy from the followers to have to make any effort to decide otherwise. So if they trust their leader, if their leader is authentic and they trust their judgment, if a leader makes a decision, the people don't have to be bogged down 
you know, wondering, is that a good decision? They just go, how do we make this happen? Hmm. Um, and so in their book, they have these, what are called the four principles of energy management. The first one is the fact that number one is that you have physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual energy. And they said that everybody has this a little bit of background too. these guys are uh, professional like life coaches. Mm. Um, more specifically, they generally work with uh, high functioning CEOs and uh, the majority of their uh, work is done with sports uh, hmm. people okay. with, with professional athletes. Thus, thus phrases like high performance in their yes. title. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. But I found it to, I found this book to be referenced and their, and their studies to be referenced so often in other things I had read that I was like, I just need to read this book. Okay. Um, So four principles, mm -hmm. everybody's got four types of energy. Yep. Physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Okay. Yep. And principle number two is that balance energy expenditure. The goal is to balance energy, energy expenditure. And then also create energy renewal. That's a second principle. Uh, the third principle is uh, to grow your ability. So you need to push beyond your normal limits. And stress is a key to that. So just like just like um, when you're lifting weights, uh, lifting weights tears muscle, literally. So you lift weights, you get that burn, and then you're sore afterward you're sore because you actually tore your muscles. Sure. Um, just tiny micro tears, but those tears bec- make your muscles stronger as they heal hmm. in the same way they argue. And I agree with them is that um, just as we physically have to push ourselves, push ourselves past our limits to become more sh- physically strong, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, we need to be pushing ourselves to get stronger. Hmm. And that's the third principle and then the fourth principle is instituting and creating and, and creating and instituting what they call positive energy rituals, um, which again, um, one of the books I had just read, uh, Dallas Willard, uh, this was a couple of years ago uh, during COVID, I taught a class, I taught a whole series on spiritual disciplines. And again, this kind of information kept coming up. I'm also reading another book um, on the power of rituals written, not written by a Christian guy, but just a, a, a scientist who's looking at the power of rituals across, uh, across cultures. And he references this text also. So he, and in principle number four, creating these rituals, he says, um, you need to define your, there's like these three subcategories of how to create your rituals. And they are define your purpose. Number one, face the truth about where you are with your own values your own principles and then you take action based upon that all right we unpack that because it it feels a little bit abstract right just hearing the language so like Mm -hmm. how did you take this these recommendations from these life coaches and researchers and how did they impact you as a follower of christ yeah so one of the things i found um and one of the reasons why i read this book it was recommended by a pastor um and I was, uh, he had referenced the idea of managing your energy and not your time hmm. I mean, managing your time also, but managing your energy as well. And, um, I found that intriguing based upon my doctoral studies, because I found that, uh, leaders can actually can, can measurably energize people. 
there's in what's called emotional transference can happen between a follower and a leader and a leader mm -hmm. and a follower. Mm -hmm. So if the leader is, is depressed and bored and whatever lethargic, <laughs> they can measurably see that in their followers. So, sure. so there is an there, there is a, I'm not trying to be weird. We're not talking about getting like some crystals and putting some Himalayan salt in the corner of your room. I mean, sure. there, but there is this, tr this emotional transference that happens mm -hmm. just by, by virtue of being in the same space with yeah, somebody. I mean, if depressed. I'm in the room with someone who's like, you know, acting like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, that affects people, you know, mm -hmm. especially if they are influential. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if the, if your boss is, is grumpy, you feel the need to be that much more happy for him or her mm -hmm. to try to like, Hey, you know, it's going to be okay. But the mm -hmm. more you do that, the more energy you actually expel. Wow. So anyway, so, so then it depletes you and then they basically become like an energy vampire and eat up all your energy <laughs> and pretty soon everybody's tired. Wow. Um, so one of the things I found, and I'm, I'm sure that you did as well. And uh, lots of, of leaders across the planet felt during COVID was just uh, like a, not just a hopelessness, but, just a listlessness, I guess would be a better word yeah. for me. Um, you know, dep despite depression, but just not doing what you're paid to do. And I'm sure there were lots of people who were just fine to get paid and not do their job. I, for one, because I'm a, I'm a pastor, I believe I'm held to this very high standard. Scripture specifically says pastors are held to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. I take that very seriously. And I don't want to die and have God go, why didn't you do something while the world was shut down? Mm. So I, I constantly felt this draw to do stuff, mm. but I literally can't in a lot of situations. Mm. Yeah. Um, cause the world you know, shut down because the world shut down. So I did a lot of things other people didn't do despite people saying I shouldn't. So I still did a lot of stuff, but there were still so much more I couldn't do like I couldn't do hospital visits. I couldn't go see my, some of my folks, you know, there's just lots of stuff like that, that yeah. I, I enjoy. And then I came to realize through this book is that the reason why I enjoy like you, you and I getting together for our meetings and getting together, I, I never, those, that kind of stuff never bothered me. And I come to realize afterward that I get rejuvenated hmm. through other people being excited about doing something. Hmm. And so what I, what, as I read this book, I came to realize that COVID had shut off different aspects of my life that I get rejuvenated through. Hmm. And my energy was draining because I wasn't having some of these needs met. Mm -hmm. So physically, uh, you know, the gym closed. So I was boxing at that time. And the gym closed and mm -hmm. I couldn't go box. So that was, you know, there's my physical energy emotionally. I mean, I'm, I'm distraught beside myself, just trying to, just trying to meet everybody's needs, but I can't physically meet anybody. Yeah. I can't hug them. Yeah. I did funerals for two suicides and an overdose within six weeks of COVID. Mm. That's emotionally draining. Yeah. Um, mentally, uh, I'm trying to think of ways to get around the rules. I'm trying not to poke the bear, but I'm also <laughs> trying to figure out ways to, to, you know, ignore things that I don't agree with necessarily, mm -hmm. but I don't, but I'm not trying to cause, like, I'm not going on and pretending it's not real. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm just trying to find that balance. Uh, mm -hmm. Mentally, I was exhausted. And then spiritually, uh, 
I just, my passion was just dying mm. because my passion is to preach and teach. Mm. And I, and I thrive on, um, being in a crowd and teaching. Mm. I want to be in a classroom. I want to have interaction. I want to mm. be able to answer questions in real time. I, I thrive on that. I come to find. And I found that my spiritual energy was just dying because I wasn't using, at the, okay, this is evangelical language, but I wasn't using my spiritual gifts mm, mm-hmm. and my spirit, the use of our spiritual gifts energizes us. So anyway, so that's, that's why I found it powerful. Wow. Wow. And so, yeah, I'm just trying to, to capture just in a few words, what I felt like I was hearing you say that, you know, you have this calling, right. As, as a, as a believer, but also as a pastor, right. Called to minister to the church, called to minister to the world. And like when your energy was flagging, like when it wasn't being managed well, like you weren't able to fulfill that call in the way that, you know, you would want to, or you would imagine wanting to. And so um, managing energy, not time. What are you doing different? Obviously, like we've kind of returned to functional life, right? A lot of people who want, everyone who wants a vaccine has gotten a vaccine now. Um, stores are open, masks are off for the most part. What are you doing differently now post COVID? Yeah. So, as a pastor. Yeah. And so, I, I, what I found was that um, I'm not the only one suffering from this, mm-hmm. but people just can't articulate it. So I come to find even now, even though we've been open for so long, first of all, Iowa city was like, I think it was the the last of what five cities in America to still have their fa- face mandate or something. Maybe. It was like, it was, we were one of the, we were one yeah. of the latest ones, but let's be honest. It really wasn't that wearing a it mask is not that big a deal. It was 2022. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but that wasn't really holding us back, but that was holding some of my people from coming back Yes, because the mass mandate, they just wouldn't come back. Um, cause we weren't requiring mass. Um, and so, uh, we had, uh, I just had a lot of people who were struggling too. They were just struggling in the exact same way. And even now I have, uh, some of my folks who are volunteers who they were on fire prior to COVID and I can't, I can't get them to just set up a meeting and follow through. Mm. And it's just, everybody is just, you know, everybody wants to get back to normal, but let's be honest, normal, our, our, uh, our, our new normal is not the same. So how do we recalibrate back to functional ministry? And that's hard. So, but I, Mm. I just, I got frustrated. I got angry about it, to be honest, you know, wanting to, Mm. I didn't want to jump off a cliff, but I wanted to like start a large fire and uh, just watch everything burn down. And that would have been great. Um, but I'm not going to do that. So what I came to realize though, was that I have to start with myself. Mm. And so for myself, I decided, you know what, if everybody else is going to drag their feet or whatever, fine. But I need to start with me because mm. I need to be the one who's like, let's do this. Mm. And I need to be the, I need to get my energy up because I'm tired. You know, I just want to yeah. not deal with all this garbage anymore. Right. I mean, you describe an entropy really like just across the board. And even, I mean, I felt it. Every minister I know felt it. And so you're saying I need to start with changing what's happening in me with God's help. Absolutely. So, oh, so, yeah, uh, absolutely. yeah. So how is this going? 
So it's going well. Um, I'm in the process right now. Like one of the things the book talks about is creating rituals and just trying to stick to these rituals to create a rhythm. And that's one of the one of the themes is this idea of rhythm, trying to find, you know, trying to go with the natural ebb and flow of life um, and then trying to embrace these rituals of life. And then also trying to like, for example, very basic, like eating and sleeping and, mm -hmm. and doing that well. Um, and then on top of that, um, creating rituals to feed myself physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Mm. Um, so I'm in the process right now. I'm reading another book by Kerry Neoff, I think. He's a pastor out of Toronto. Oh, yeah. And, mm -hmm. Yep. And he talked about um, trying to break down your daily calendar into green, yellow, and red zones because mm. he's also playing off of this same book and this same research. Mm. And so I've been in in conjunction with that book, trying to break down my entire schedule of my day into when am I most energized just naturally. You know, I tend to be the most, the most energized from like seven 30 till about noon. Hmm. And that's like my quote unquote green zone. Okay. Um, so that's when I'm just you know, really, I'm great. You know, I, hmm. I, I can just get stuff done, but then uh, when I eat and from like one to three is my generally is my kind of yellow. Like I'm mm -hmm. just kind of like, I'm, I'm slowing down. I need to eat. I'm processing food now. My energy is a little bit low. I generally am getting my second cup of coffee about, you know, two. And I'm just, I'm just realizing that about myself. And so now I'm trying to schedule my, my daily jobs for when they're peak. So rather than, for example, wasting my time in my green zone doing emails, I don't even, I don't even check my email in the morning anymore. I, I check my email after lunch uh, or while I'm eating a sandwich because I don't like doing it. I hate looking at emails. I despise it, but I have to do it. Mm -hmm. So I am, I've just completely changed how I do that for that purpose. Hmm. Yeah, and that's just an example. Kind of like you can kind of yawn through an email, right? Yawn right. through reading an email. And yep. that makes a lot of sense. And I think I intuitively know a little bit about this uh, for myself and know mm -hmm. probably not a good idea to use these couple hours in the morning when I'm going to, you know, have uninterrupted time to do things like email, but to actually do the creative work, write the sermon. And honestly, it strikes me, Josh, that what you're talking about all of this really falls under the umbrella of self-care. Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. and really like caring for yourself as a, as a human being and really stewarding what God has given you so that you can serve him and others. I mean, for the sake of God in the world, right? Yep. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. It's uh, in my, you know, I have it listed. I have a, I use a, a, a website called notion. So, mm -hmm. and that's how I manage my life. But anyway, I, I have this book and the resources I've created. I actually broke down the book into highlights. I do this with every book I read. So this is just me being anal, but any book I like, I should say. Um, so I'll break it down into the highlights. I'll break the highlights down into like little summaries. Then I'll have like a, a six page summary of the book if I need to look back wow. at it. And um, I have those summaries, those cliff notes I've created and my highlights under um, the, I call it project me. Hmm. And it's just, you know, just taking wow. time to be like, I need to be dealing with my own stuff. 
I need to be pouring into my own life. I've been pouring out and pouring out and pouring out, but you know, no one is taking the time to pour into me. Yeah. And so trying to make the effort to, uh, to, uh, take care of myself. I think it's the hardest thing for pastors, right? Cause we're, you know, we're tasked with caring for others, but this is why pastors are burning out. And I think unprecedented rates of ministers are quitting or, I think there was a recent Barna study that said, I think it was only like 37% of pastors even felt anymore that they were called to ministry or were confident in that. So this sort of like renovation is happening in your life. Can you tell if other people are noticing? Is it rubbing off on your family or your church? Like, what do you see happening? So I, I haven't noticed in the church yet because this is fresh months. Okay. So this is, but my, my home life has been, um, different. Mm -hmm. So, uh, my wife has noticed a difference. Um, I've actively picked up, um, some hobbies. Like uh, I, I do climbing now to try mm -hmm. to find some, something that I enjoy doing. I get vertigo on occasion. So I had to quit boxing because mm -hmm. getting punched in the head can kind of trigger that. Yeah. So I enjoyed boxing and I used to wrestle, but again, wrestling and boxing are not the things you want to do when you might get dizzy. Yeah. So I'm trying to, I'm, so I'm testing the waters on different things. As of right now, I enjoy climbing. So I'm doing that. Um, but since I've been trying to be more, um, I'm trying to do more exercise. I'm trying to eat right. I'm drinking a glass. So I'm trying to drink all the water I'm supposed to drink. I'm trying to get to bed on time. I'm trying to get up at a consistent time, you know, just trying to find those, the, that rhythm. Mm. And I have, I have felt as I feel as though there's a, a big difference now. I mean, before during COVID, I never ate, I never ate, I wouldn't eat breakfast or lunch oftentimes. So I would come home and I hadn't eaten you know, since dinner the last day. So I was eating every, you know, 22 hours I would actually eat. To be honest, I, I have to, I still have to force myself to eat. I don't feel like eating. I'm not really hungry. Um, I get going, my ADD kicks in and mm. I just get stuff done. So I have to actually, I have an alarm to actually tell me to stop. So, cause otherwise I'll forget. Um, but, but yeah, so my, my, I have a, some volunteer office ladies who think they're my mom and they're great. <laughs> so they'll come in and go, pastor Josh, how you doing? You better eat. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Nice. Thank you. Thank yeah. God for volunteer office ladies. Yeah, so, they are so, great. So this project, your energy is changing and you see it impacting like your primary relationships at home, like mm -hmm. with your wife and your kids. So you're really setting an example. You're really modeling this, to your congregation. Um, is this book for everyone? Would you say? Um, I would say that when it comes to, you know, who, who's going to read this and who's actually going to get something out of it. Um, if you're the kind of person who reads self-help books religiously, and you just move on to the next self-help book, hoping to find some kind of special thing. I mean, you could read it and you'll get stuff out of it, but like any of these kinds of books that are, that are, uh, fact-based, not opinion-based. If you're not applying it, then it's not going to do anything for you. So I think that for me personally, if, if a person is going to read this and get anything out of it, you have to motivate yourself. And there are, there are principles within this book about how to motivate yourself to do these things. They have a, a lot of stuff you can actually print 
um, to keep like to actually keep track of a log to huh. make sure you're doing these things. Lots of really, really practical um, steps to take. I mean, everything from how to write a, a mission, personal mission statement to how to make these uh, rituals a part of your life and make them a habit. So if you're looking to improve your energy level, absolutely, I think everybody can do it. But if you're looking to just read another book to, you know, to check a mark, do whatever you want, man. Just read, read whatever right. you want. Maybe it'd just be better if they listen to this podcast. Yeah, just listen to this, <laughs> and and that's all. You'll, you've already got the basic principles, right. and you know. Right. So there you go. You've you've awesome. done you've done it. Awesome, Josh. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Um, super excited to share this uh, in our upcoming season. And this topic of self-care and managing energy is just so important for everyone, but especially for leaders. Absolutely. And thank you for having me, Heather. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining my conversation with Pastor Joshua Tilly and this episode of Your Pastor Reads Books. Check out our show notes for links to the books we mentioned. And if you want to support the podcast in spirit or your bank account, you can subscribe to my newsletter at heatherweber.substack.com. That's Weber with one B. Or for more information about me and other creative projects I'm working on, click around on my website at heatherweber.org. Thanks again, and I hope you go read a good book today.